In Plato's Symposium, the text reads, For me, said the Dr. Eryximachus, whilst we are determining how many cups should be drunk at parties, medicine has shown me a very obvious fact, that drunkenness is harmful to man. Earlier in the 4th century BC, Hippocrates had emphasized the unhealthy consequences of alcohol misuse on the heart and suggested abstinence from alcohol to patients with hydropsy, an equivalent of congestive heart failure. Today, we know this as alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy, the condition in which the heart muscle weakens and does not pump blood as well as it should due to long-term alcohol abuse. By 1855, George B. Wood had incriminated alcohol as a cause of heart failure. In the 1890s, the Canadian Sir William Osler listed alcoholism as a cause of cardiac dilatation. Today, our patient has alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Beyond the Limit and is all about alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy. All right, time for a minute physiology. Cardiomyopathy implies disease of the heart muscle, traditionally classified into a triad of dilated, restrictive, and hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Toxin exposure may cause a dilated cardiomyopathy, the most common toxin being alcohol. Dilated cardiomyopathy is defined by an enlarged left ventricle, or LV, with reduced systolic function as assessed by the LV ejection fraction, or LVEF. But why does alcohol dilate the heart? To understand this, we'll go through some basic cardiac physiology. The left and right ventricles pump blood into the systemic and pulmonary circulation, respectively. Cardiac output, or the volume of blood that the heart ejects in one minute, is the product of heart rate and stroke volume. End diastolic minus end systolic volume equals stroke volume, which is the amount of blood ejected, also known as the ejection fraction with each heartbeat. This depends on the preload, myocardial contractility, and afterload. To calculate the ejection fraction, you'll take the stroke volume and divide it by end diastolic volume. Now, alcohol may suppress cardiac contractility and activate the renin, angiotensin, and aldosterone, as well as sympathetic nervous systems. Ethanol consumption may also cause oxidative stress, apoptosis, impaired mitochondrial function, altered fatty acid metabolism, and increased myocardial protein breakdown. This myocardial injury leads to maladaptive changes in surviving myocytes, which leads to left ventricular remodeling, including the eventual dilatation and presentation as heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy affects up to 40% of the patients with heart failure or dilated cardiomyopathy, depending on the study population and the threshold consumption used. The leading age groups affected are from 45 to 59, followed by 60 to 74 years old. Its prevalence among men and women with alcohol use disorder seems similar. Women develop alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy at a weight-adjusted lower total dose of ethanol, perhaps due to lower gastric and higher hepatic ethanol metabolism. Even individuals without alcohol dependence, habitual binge drinking is also associated with transient myocardial injury, dysfunction, and coronary vasoconstriction. 
You can now see why Hippocrates recommended that patients with high dropsy avoid alcohol consumption, given its correlation to what we now know as heart failure. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. Alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy is diagnosed in patients with all three of the following criteria. First, features of dilated cardiomyopathy, which includes left ventricular dilatation and reduced left ventricular ejection fraction on echocardiogram, absence of other causes of dilated cardiomyopathy, and long-term heavy alcohol consumption, often defined as greater than 80 grams per day over at least five years. Others estimate that five to six drinks daily or frequent binge drinking may also be enough to induce irreversible cardiac damage. So in which patients might you suspect alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy? Think of this as a diagnosis in patients with a history of either extensive alcohol use or known alcohol use disorder, as well as heart failure symptoms and signs of dilated cardiomyopathy on echocardiogram. Your differential diagnosis will include the common conditions for heart failure, including uncontrolled hypertension, valvular disease, congenital disease, and ischemic heart disease. Consider other causes of dilated cardiomyopathies, including genetic inherited versions such as neuromuscular dystrophies, as well as acquired causes including peripartum, drugs, myocarditis, tachyarrhythmias, endocrinopathies, metabolic, and autoimmune diseases. There is also an entity known as cirrhotic cardiomyopathy that is linked to cirrhosis. This is usually only improved by the restoration of adequate liver function and usually presents as high output heart failure or preserved ejection fraction. Coronary artery disease should always be excluded. You will need to consider this differential when conducting your history and physical exam. So let's go see our patient. As always, your first step in any patient encounter is to assess whether your patient is stable or not. What is their GCS? Are their ABCs stable? What are their vitals? Individuals with severe decompensated heart failure may present with severe respiratory compromise, requiring non-invasive support such as BiPAP or invasive support with intubation. In the most severe form, patients with end-stage cardiomyopathy can present in cardiogenic shock. It is always important to remember that individuals with alcohol use disorder or alcohol misuse may also present with alcohol withdrawal in addition to congestive heart failure. Listen to our last podcast entitled What Speeds Up Must Slow Down for more details about what this looks like. Now, once your patient is stable, you can move forward with your assessment. So you want to categorize your history taking into signs of heart failure, history of alcohol misuse, and potential causes of heart failure. As an internist, you want to consider the broad differential of heart failure and cardiomyopathy, and not just a single etiology. First things first, assessing for alcohol misuse or alcohol use disorder can be challenging. You, of course, want to clarify the onset severity and precipitance of the alcohol misuse, as well as the patient's drinking habits, but be considerate that there may be a sense of shame or guilt attached to a patient's alcohol use. Approach the situation with empathy and sensitivity. It is important to remember that alcohol use and alcohol misuse, just like diabetes and heart failure, is a medical condition requiring medical attention. Once you've clarified the patient's alcohol history, move on to look for signs of heart failure, 
including orthopnea, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, palpitations, syncope, diaphoresis, nausea, abdominal discomfort, as well as weight gain. It is also incredibly important to obtain a detailed past medical history as well as family history in order to help delineate the etiology of your patient's heart failure. When inquiring about the past medical history, consider the broader differential we listed earlier. An important thing to mention here is that other risk factors for heart failure, such as diabetes mellitus, dyslipidemia, COPD, and arrhythmias can coexist. Hearing, visual, or muscle impairment may indicate an alternate diagnosis like mitochondrial diseases, mutations, and muscular dystrophies. The medication history should include supplements and treatments, such as chemotherapy and radiotherapy, which may cause dilated cardiomyopathy or worsen heart failure. Moreover, heavy alcohol use may worsen other dilated cardiomyopathies. Obtain a three-generational family history to help establish a diagnosis of familial dilated cardiomyopathy. Ask about sudden death, especially at age less than 40 years old, with attention to single vehicle accidents, drowning, sudden infant death, and any previous genetic testing. Additional social history should include learning difficulties, smoking history, travel history, and other exposures and substance use. All right, moving on to our physical exam. It is important to note on physical exam that many individuals with alcohol misuse or alcohol use disorder will not present with signs of cirrhosis, including malnutrition, temporal wasting, palmar erythema, spider angioma, ecchymosis, or purpura. Instead, your history will be the key to assessing for alcohol misuse, as noted earlier. So, let's turn our attention to examining for dilated cardiomyopathy and congestive heart failure. First, our cardiac exam. Individuals with dilated cardiomyopathy may have a laterally displaced and enlarged apical impulse. They may also develop mitral regurgitation, so look for a systolic murmur at the apex that radiates to the axilla. You may also note extra heart sounds, such as an S3 or S4, depending on the severity of the patient's presentation. To look for signs of heart failure, look for an elevated JVP, peripheral edema, crackles, and decreased breast sounds on respiratory exam. Individuals with severe right heart failure may also have a pulsating liver and ascites, as well as signs of trigusped regurgitation. If you note hepatomegaly and lymphadenopathy, consider the diagnosis of Chagas disease, a parasitic disease that can cause dilated cardiomyopathy. On to our workup. You will want to order routine laboratory tests to check for signs suggestive of alcohol misuse. A CBC may demonstrate macrocytic anemia or just macrocytosis, mild thrombocytopenia, and lymphopenia. Liver enzymes may have an elevated AST to ALT in a 2 to 1 ratio, which is often suggestive of alcohol-induced liver disease. You should get a troponin to look for any possible ischemic injury. An ECG should also be ordered to look for any prior or current ischemic changes, as well as any arrhythmias. A chest x-ray will be important to assess for enlarged cardiac silhouette, which is suggestive of cardiomegaly and other signs of heart failure, including pulmonary edema, pleural effusions, curly beelines, bronchial cuffing, and vascular cephalization. The x-ray should also be used to exclude other causes of dyspnea. Now, the first step to diagnosing any cardiomyopathy truly is the echocardiogram. In alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy, the echocardiogram will identify a dilated cardiomyopathy with reduced ejection fraction of less than 50%. The 
The echocardiographic standard for LV dilation includes an LV end diastolic volume greater than two standard deviations above normal or LV diastolic dimension of greater than 58.4 millimeters in men and 52.2 millimeters in women. It is important to remember that alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy is in fact a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning that other etiologies must be excluded as a possible cause. Therefore, coronary artery disease must always be ruled out, especially in all potential candidates for vascularization. Stress testing can be a first step, but consider coronary angiography as the gold standard. Cardiac MRI may also be useful to rule out other etiologies of heart failure and cardiomyopathy, such as infiltrative diseases, including amyloidosis or hemochromatosis. Endomyocardial biopsy is only selectively indicated when specific diagnoses, like amyloidosis, are suspected. Treatment of alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy is twofold and requires a multidisciplinary team. Acute treatment should focus on treatment of the congestive heart failure exacerbation, if present, with diuresis and workup to identify the etiology of the patient's cardiomyopathy. Long-term treatment of alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy includes standard treatment of heart failure as per the Canadian Cardiovascular Society guidelines, as well as referral to a cardiologist or heart failure specialist. Long-term management will include maximally tolerated beta blocker and ACE inhibitors or ARBs. The introduction of spironolactone should be considered for individuals with reduced ejection fraction of less than 40% with heart failure. Lastly, addition of evabradine for patients in sinus rhythm or switch to an ARNI may be appropriate if the patient remains symptomatic on goal-directed medical therapy. Patients may also require long-term LASIKs for volume control. Routine monitoring of weight stabilization, electrolytes, and creatinine will be important for any patient on standing LASIKs until they find a stable dose. Treatment and management of any other contributing comorbidities, including diabetes or hypertension, will also be important in managing this patient's cardiomyopathy. Patients who present with acute alcohol withdrawal should be monitored for severe withdrawal. CWA protocols should be started at regular intervals and adequate monitoring should be instituted depending on the patient's severity to avoid alcohol withdrawal seizures or delirium tremens. The patient's diet should also be balanced and any nutritional deficiencies or electrolyte disturbances such as hypomagnesemia and hypokalemia should be corrected. It is also worthwhile to look for any evidence of hepatic injury or early cirrhosis while the patient is admitted. Now, patients who are able to abstain or even moderate their alcohol intake may be able to reverse their alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy. Ventricular function recovery has been seen in some patients after reducing or ending their intake, notably if done early in the disease. Marked improvement is possible within three to six months of abstinence, even with severe disease. The prognosis depends on the presence and extent of alcohol use. Patients who moderate or abstain from alcohol use have a similar or better prognosis than those seen with idiopathic dilated cardiomyopathy. In comparison, continued heavy drinking is correlated with lower survival, with estimates from 50% in 4 years to 20% of transplant-free survival at 7 years. Therefore, on discharge, patients should be connected with an addiction support network, including physician for possible anti-craving medications such as naltrexone, counseling, as well as social support. All right, time for a Medicine Minute. In 2018, a systematic review published in The Lancet looked at 83 prospective observational studies and categorized current alcohol users without cardiac disease based on their baseline alcohol consumption per week. 
the authors found that individuals with the minimum mortality risk drank around or below 100 grams of alcohol per week, and that individuals who drank more than 100 grams per week had lower life expectancy at the age of 40. In Canada, guidelines recommend limiting alcohol consumption to 134.5 grams per week for women and 201.75 grams per week for men. This begs the question, should we drink less? Thank you for listening to today's episode titled Beyond the Limit about alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy. This episode was written by Dr. Andreas Graborio Guzman, internal medicine resident at the Northern Ontario School of Medicine, and reviewed by Dr. Florence Moriello, internal medicine and critical care medicine, and Dr. Mohamed Sharab, cardiology. The Internet Work series is created and executively produced by Allison Lai, alongside executive producers Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. This podcast was produced and recorded by Allison Lai. Theme song by Lachman Vizantha Mohan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe it wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we have an associated infographic on our website at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.